Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and today we're going to be talking to Sarah Zachrich Jang. Sarah grew up in Michigan and always had a flair for the morbid and mysterious. We love that around here. She had a brief career as an aspiring rock star before she came to her senses and went back to school to become a web developer. Sarah lives in Florida with her family and two extremely hyper rescue dogs. And her debut novel, The Other Me, which we've talked about on the show before, I'm a big fan from way back, it recently came out in paperback. So welcome, Sarah. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally talk to you because we go all the way back to, what was it, Pitch Wars 2018? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, like sometime in the midst of time before the pandemic. So Yeah, it feels like yesterday and also like 20 years ago and what is time? Exactly. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I first encountered the book that would become The Other Me. I know it had a different title back then, which we can talk about if you want. I, yeah. I like both titles. Sure. But it was called The Nice Guy back then, right? Yeah, it was. For, you know, reasons that become obvious if you read the book, uh-huh. it changed. <laughs> yes. So I got it as a submission and I was very obsessed with it. I read it really quickly and I had like not much feedback was the problem. I remember writing to you and being like, here's a couple things, but I don't really know how to mentor you because this is already really good and polished. I remember thinking your feedback was actually really helpful. It kind of broke a few things open for me. So that that was, yeah. Well, could you tell the listeners about this book if they're not familiar? It has been out in a hardcover for a little while now. So maybe some people have read it. I hope so, since we've been talking about it this whole time. Sure. So The Other Me is a speculative thriller, and it's about an artist named Kelly who lives in Chicago. And on her 29th birthday, she's at her friend's opening when she walks through a door and suddenly finds herself at her own surprise birthday party at her hometown in Michigan. And she's stumbled onto this whole alternate life where instead of going to art school, she stayed home and married a guy from her high school and settled down with him. And as soon as she gets over the initial shock, she finds that she can remember things from both of her lives in Chicago and in Michigan. So she needs to figure out, you know, what's going on for one thing, and if it can be reversed. The book has elements of speculative fiction as well as domestic suspense. Yeah, it's a really interesting mix of genres because it does have that sort Mm. of sci-fi element of like, what's going on here? Kind of Black Mirror, (laughs) Russian doll sort of vibes. 
But then a lot of the story is more of a domestic suspense. Like we're seeing her in her small hometown in Michigan dealing with the horror of that. That honestly is like... (laughs) As someone who lives in Chicago and is an artist, if I woke up one day or walked through a door and was suddenly married to some guy from my high school, I like that is horrifying. Worst nightmare, right? Like when I think about the guys that I was interested in in high school, very bad, very bad. Same, same. Yeah. So how did you come up with this premise? What was your inspiration? So the inspiration was actually like, I think we all know that Talking Heads song, Once in a Lifetime, that's like, this is not my beautiful house, this is not my beautiful wife. So that was kind of like the very small seed of the idea. And also, I mean, not to get too spoilery, but there's a certain trope that's used in the novel that is often written from the male point of view. And I wanted to kind of turn it around and write the female point of view and the person who, you know, is affected by the man's actions and her figuring out what the hell is happening. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the twin inspirations that eventually became this book years later. Yeah, this book has been through a lot of different versions, right? Because I know like the one I read in Pitchworth, which was great. (laughs) This book that's published is very, very different from it. You changed the POV. You, I mean, so what was that like, that whole journey of revising it and rethinking it. Yeah, so it was originally dual POV. It had Eric, the husband's point of view as well from the point in his life in junior high when he meets Kelly up until the story beginning from where Kelly joins it. For one thing, it was really super long. And then some of the feedback I got was like, well, I mean, it's domestic suspense. We can assume that there's something shady going on with him. So people are like, oh, you're making him too sympathetic. This is like reading an incels manifesto or something. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I see what you're saying. Because like, when you create a character, even if they're a bad person, objectively, or maybe they're not a bad person, but they do bad things, you still have that soft spot for him. And Eric's my like maladjusted man baby, and I love him. But at the same time, it's Kelly's story. So I ended up taking out his point of view and just sprinkling in elements here and there from it. It made the themes of the book stronger. I right. found myself like, yeah, more sympathetic to him than I would have thought, which it is hard not to spoil things, but especially like mm-hmm. any book we talk about on this show, if there's a man in it, we suspect him of wrongdoing, <laughs> basically. So yes, we can just... yes, of course. <laughs> we're we're side eyeing. You know, the husband always did it, right? So. The husband always did it. Absolutely. But yeah. in this version, too, he is a sympathetic character to some extent. But yeah, that's a hard line to walk because it's like you want everybody to yeah. be sympathetic and a fully rounded character and not just like a monster but at the same time in our culture we are much more willing to explain away and justify things that men do and sympathize with them (laughs) like we already have that impulse even when that's not explicitly a part of the book where like we don't do that for women as much yeah absolutely we're definitely more willing to accept imperfections in men both in books and in real life When I was creating Kelly, the challenge was I wanted her to be likable and this gregarious person. But if you make them too nice, then people are like, oh, she's a Mary Sue. She's too nice. She's boring. So the challenge was to give her agency while still making her a fully realized human. Mm -hmm. So in her life in Chicago, she's an artist. Why did you choose to make her an artist as opposed to any other profession? Some of that was from my own life. I was a musician in my 20s. 
And I slowly came to the realization that I was not going to be able to make a living doing that and went back to school and got a real job and did all that. So, I mean, you kind of miss that dream of being an artist and that's the only thing you're doing. So that was kind of me like exercising that through her a little bit almost. And I also just the process of growing through that and still trying to be creative and trying to support yourself in a capitalist society at the same time. So that's why I wanted her to be an artist and not like a nurse or whatever. It's interesting, too, because in order to be an artist, you have to be kind of selfish and self-absorbed in a way, like selfish with your time because you're taking time to pursue this creative path and you're whether you're a visual artist or a musician or a writer, any kind of artist, you are standing up and saying, my point of view matters. My point of view is important. I need to put it out into the world. And that's something that can be difficult for women and also criticized in women. Like, it's interesting to see her Mm -hmm. when she goes into this other life where she's a suburban housewife and she's still trying to take the time to pursue art and it's very different it's like now she's stealing the time from her duties as a housewife (laughs) (laughs) yeah and her time that she's supposed to be paying attention to other people and seeing to other people's needs and yeah what you say about art and art being an artist inherently being selfish and trusting in yourself believing in yourself that you have something to say that matters that's an egotistical thing and women aren't supposed to be egotistical right so yeah there's that piece of it and when she tries to paint I mean that was a scene that was really interesting for me to write when she tries to paint and she can't paint because that was just, I don't know, I just wanted that to be like a little bit heartbreaking. And I hope it is. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's heartbreaking. And it's also (laughs) like, this isn't a horror novel, but there are these moments of, especially if you're an artist, I think like, this kind of existential <laughs> horror reading that. Right. Like, oh my God, I can't do it anymore. Ah. Like if I like woke up one day and I couldn't write, I would just, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> I know. I mean, I was even, I, I know several writers who are dealing with long COVID symptoms right now that are giving them really bad mm. brain fog and making it incredibly difficult oh for them to write. And I'm just like, that sounds horrible. That's, yeah, it does sound really horrible. Yeah. That's something I'm afraid of for sure. Yeah. We're just going to stress ourselves out today, I guess. Sorry. Yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> the world's on fire and let's just make it worse. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, there's this pressure in her other life in Michigan to be nice and accommodating and a good wife and a good daughter-in-law and a good, like all of these things that she doesn't really have in right. Chicago. Like she's more living her life the way that she wants or thinks <laughs> she wants to there, spending her time the way that she wants to. For sure women are socialized to always be the peacemaker in the relationship, right? Like when it comes to a choice between them, like having their needs met or not nagging your husband, you're supposed to just kind of swallow your grievance, right? And we see that in the dynamic. That's what I do for feminism every day. I tell my heterosexual male partner all of my grievances to make sure he knows. (laughs) Fight fight in the good fight. Yeah. (laughs) Like just so you know. (laughs) Yeah. So the original title of this was The Nice Guy, which I can see why they changed it for marketing purposes, but that was such a... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A fitting title as well. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, it kind of sounds like a rom-com. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. It's not a (laughs) (laughs) rom-com. I mean, that's such a, I don't know, like a, a misunderstood male archetype 
still, I would For say. Sure. Like, I wrote a character yeah. in my second book, They Never Learn, who is, like, totally... <laughs> a nice guy where he's like, I'm such a good friend. Wait, why won't you sleep with me? Like that whole thing. Right. And yeah. Like, why aren't you giving me cookies for my niceness? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I still have readers constantly being like, well, he was so nice. And then all of a sudden at the end, he like turned into this monster and it was totally unsupported. And I'm just like, there are so many red flags. Like I am worried about you that you did not see them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's oh insidious. Gosh. It's like, this is the sort of thing where we can look at a guy who's just like, I mean, like Donald Trump or whatever and be like, yeah, he's a misogynist. But there are all of these sweet seeming men among us <laughs> <laughs> who are these nice guys who are like just as misogynistic. It's just a gentler version right. of it. And that's scary, too, because it's like, God, I'm sorry. I'm like mm-hmm. making your book out to be this horror novel. It's not. It's like. <laughs> what mood I'm in it's, today. It's like very, it's very like subtle forms of control. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where you can gaslight yourself where you're just like, but he was so nice to me and he carried my like <laughs> luggage to the car and he took me out to dinner and like he couldn't possibly. It's like instead of them having to gaslight you, you do it to yourself. And that's when mm. that's really scary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're kind of convincing yourself that this person is safe and they might not be. Mm-hmm. So you work in, in tech, right? You're a web developer. Yeah. So I used to work in tech as well, not like coding or anything, but I worked for a tech company. And I was wondering how that informed this. <laughs> <laughs> Having met right. the men in tech, I'm assuming you have yes. met them as well. Yes, <laughs> And, you know, all of, most of my experiences when I worked in the startup world, I worked at a web development company. They were very positive. That's good. For like almost completely positive. And the people that I met there were awesome. But yeah, th- there's a definite culture. <laughs> when I wrote this book, I'd been working at a university for a long time. So that's a very different culture from a tech company. So I had to like do some research and like find out what it's like now. But my earlier experiences, I had the foosball table and the happy hours and all of that stuff was there. So I was happy to be able to get some of that in there and kind of poke fun at it. Yeah, it's kind of a ridiculous world if you really think about it. It's like this whole world created by (laughs) these like boy men. (laughs) Right. with millions yeah, of like dollars they don't, they don't want to grow up like that's the whole thing they want this office where they can act like they're in a frat house so they make that or like mm-hmm. they didn't have a lot of friends and now all their friends are staying at the office until like right. 10 o'clock at night to play with the foosball table and eat the snacks exactly <laughs> yeah and yeah and it's so like youth obsessed too yeah. or it was when I worked in it like it, it was like a good thing for everyone to be under 30 which to a certain extent it is but you also lose out on that institutional knowledge too. Yeah, I didn't have any like terrible experiences. I worked with plenty of very nice people right. as well, but like that whole culture just feels toxic. It's like the distillation of late stage capitalism where it's like we got to get bigger yes. and keep growing and like uh, I don't right. even I've like keep innovating. Uh yeah, disrupting. Like, disrupting. Yeah, we have to like keep making these things that have questionable societal benefit, but we're going to make them anyway because we could make a shitload of money. Yeah, just getting bigger and bigger at any cost. And I mean, just the whole concept of disrupting. It's like some things don't need to be disrupted. Some things are fine. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Like we're doing okay in some areas and you don't need to mess with that. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the app that is in the other me, not to get spoilery again. You get a little yes. spoiler. I feel like your book has been out for a while, <laughs> so there's got to be some people who have read it. If you haven't read the book, then maybe you want to come back and listen to this after you've read it. But we yeah. get a little spoilery. <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, the concept of an app that lets you travel through time is just, it's like such a bad idea on its face. Yeah. But it's also the kind of thing that you could imagine, like, the CEO of Twitter making never in 10 years in the future, so. Or the or new, Elon Musk. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the new overlord of Twitter, if they make him buy it. Uh, that whole uh, situation <laughs> is so ridiculous. I probably shouldn't have mentioned his name, because that'll, like, bring the gods down on me, but. Ugh. Yeah, the muskrats. I saw someone call his the mus- fans that on Twitter the other day, and I was like, that's a That's great. Thing. And that was, I mean, he was kind of who I had in mind when I was writing Adam, too, so. Yeah. Well, tell everyone who Adam is. Oh, Adam is the, oh, well, another spoiler. Well. <laughs> anyway, I guess we're, like, deep into Let's the Let's do it. You know what? Honestly, so. like, okay, they've gotten, I don't know, 15, 16 minutes of great podcast content. If they want to shut it down and come back after they've read the book, we can't spoilery. Let's do it. I make the rules. There we go. All right. So Adam moves in as Kelly's neighbor, and then it later comes out that he is the CEO of the company where Eric worked in a different timeline. So he's investigating disturbances in the timeline, basically. Mm -hmm. And he becomes an antagonist. (laughs) He insinuates himself into their lives and their business. Okay, so since we're getting spoilery, I love, uh, I can't remember because I've like read the earlier version of this and everything, but really lean into in the final published version, this idea of like, at the time that her life split into these two timelines, Kelly is the one who ultimately made the choice. But she was presented with this choice because of some shit that Eric did that he shouldn't have done that was very manipulative. But it really goes to the heart of like what is choice? What is consent? How do you define mm-hmm. that if there's somebody else who's pulling the strings who knows more than you? And I don't know if you want to right. talk about that or not. <laughs> there's a lot about obligation and what we owe to each other as people. And yeah, there's a whole sequence where she kind of remembers and is told about these various different timelines that have been created in her life. And each time she's made different choices and for whatever reason, there's been something that he didn't like about them. So Eric has rewound to have a do-over on that. He's trying to correct the timeline each time so that they end up together. And finally, at the end, she just goes all the way back to the beginning to the point where the whole sort of alternate timeline splits off Mm -hmm. and she ends up telling him what happened because he doesn't know everything that happened yet. And she tells him the jig is up, basically. Like, you've been caught. You can't do this to me anymore. And they go forward and they live their own lives, but they're also in contact. They aren't enemies, but they have kind of a tense relationship, I would say. I wanted to make it kind of ambiguous at the end where obviously they're not together because that would blow up all the themes that I wanted to put forth in my book, but she has to navigate this relationship now. And she's not a mean person, right? And she kind of sympathizes with him. So that's how I conceptualize how their relationship would go at the end. Mm -hmm. Back when they're in high school, he has a crush on her. And Mm -hmm. in the original timeline, he asks her outright, but it's like in a very... Like she doesn't even know that that's what he's doing. Yeah. She blows him off and 
he's like, oh, if I could only go back and do it right. So And then he does and go back does. and do it in a different way. And she yeah. says yes, and then that changes. So it's still her choice. But then it's also he's right. going back with the knowledge of a 30-year-old man, which is... Yeah. Yeah. Which I, like, when I was reading reviews, I read one that was like, oh, that's kind of creepy. He's an adult and she's not. And I was like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. I guess I've been steeped in Twilight. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I... Even though I never read all the books, it's still like, oh, whatever, 300-year-old vampire high school or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're as women I think really socialized to not mind age gaps as much as perhaps we should right <laughs> especially if they're like immortal and hot I don't know I really loved the book the time traveler's wife when I first read it back in college and I know like there's I did too yeah. yeah there's some there's some similarities here these two books could be in conversation <laughs> with each other for sure but right. when the HBO show came out recently I was kind of excited to watch it and then I never did because people were talking about it on Twitter and they were like this is actually so creepy. He's basically like, grooming her from the time she's a little girl to be the perfect wife for him. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> like kind of true. Your, your whole perspective. Yeah, your whole perspective kind of shifts. Like society has kind of shifted yeah. since between the book and the show too, to be able to acknowledge that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's totally true. I just never, I mean, when I read it, I was like 21, 22. So I was an adult, right. but I was young and I just was, I don't know. I was like, it's so romantic. Yeah, I was just and, like, okay, sure. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, maybe it was like the execution too. Like I haven't seen the show, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was just creepier in the show. I heard he goes back in time and gives himself a blowjob on the show. So does that happen in the book? I don't remember. <laughs> I, I remember something like that. There are duplicate versions and he goes back and has sex with himself. Yeah. I don't remember the details. <laughs> That's definitely going on my list of like, I have a copy of it and I'm not going to get rid of it because it was one of my favorite books back in the day, but I'm terrified to read it again and like, don't want to, I just, like, like does it hold up I don't know yeah let it live in my mind <laughs> yeah as yeah. a thing that I enjoyed and I remember I read it when I was just embarking on a long distance relationship with the man who I'm now married to and so I felt mm -hmm. I'm like oh I can like just understand how they're feeling I'm like such an idiot at oh. 22 <laughs> yeah <laughs> I totally feelings get it. yeah yeah and now I'm dead inside so <laughs> yeah now I'm, we're all dead inside it's fine <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah, I had not thought of it that way, that it was creepy. And I certainly when I read your book, that didn't occur to me. I mean, I thought what he was doing in general was creepy, but like that was, yeah. specific aspect. <laughs> like the whole, the whole thing is creepy. It's not just the age gap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. We're like all learning and growing. I mean, like with The Time Traveler's yeah. Wife, that book is written by a woman. It's not some like r gross dude's fantasy about no. like, a woman wrote yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't like exploitative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I've certainly written some things in the past that like I look back on now and I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know, that was not so feminist. And probably things <laughs> I'm working on now in the future, I will feel that way. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we all do it. That's good. That's growth. We're growing. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. So what are you working on now, may I ask? So I'm working on my second novel and I have been for a long, long, long time. This book is kind of kicking my ass, actually. But it's getting better every time. It's just, you know, taking a long time to get better. So it's another speculative suspense. And this one is more about female friendship. It's about two former college friends who have kind of a little bit of a toxic friendship. Like there's a power dynamic there. And then their friendship ends very badly. And then 10 years later, their lives intersect again in this sort of, you know, there's another tech 
plot device that allows them to do something that isn't possible in our world. And it's kind of a mixture of the talented Mr. Ripley and like a darker Freaky Friday. Oh my God. Is how I pitched it. (laughs) Okay. Love all those things. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure when that'll be out, but probably next year, the year after, something like that. Yeah. Everybody's taking forever to write books right now. So you are not alone. Pretty much every person I've had on the show recently has been like, oh, I'm working on this, but it's taking forever and it's kicking my ass. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Yeah. We're all just burnt yeah. out. <laughs> we can't think properly. I know. And yeah, between that and like life and job and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a lot. The second book thing is real. Like when people tell you that that's really mm-hmm. difficult, I'm having a time with my third book too. I feel like all books are hard and they never get easier mm-hmm. and like such a scam that they don't get easier. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Like I should know how to do this by now. Right. No, <laughs> we never learn how to like how yeah. to write a book. We can learn hey, how to write like that. They, they never learn. Ah, yes. <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, we learn how to write like the book we're working on. Maybe eventually by the time we turn it in or like at some point, but then the next one is a whole new challenge. Yeah. But that sounds really cool. I can't wait to read whatever you come out with next. Thank you. I'm hoping, hoping to have something to my agent very soon. So we'll see. Actually, like at the time this airs, I will have like a week left before the self-imposed deadline I have given myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, future me, good luck. <laughs> yeah, you can do it. Yeah. Well, this has been so fun to chat with you. Could you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, my website is sarahzj.com. That's Sarah with an H. And on Twitter, I'm also Sarah ZJ. And then on Instagram, I'm Sarah underscore EZJ. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. And the other me is out now at the time this airs. It'll be out in both hardcover and paperback. And they both have really amazing covers. So you can just choose the one you like best. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.